battle stations. Repeat, all hands to battle stations. I'm Damien Cowell. Damien who? Well, find out by joining me and Dr Gonzo on And This One's Introduced By Wednesday, 11pm on Community Radio 3CR. Dr. Gonzo, and this one's introduced by is a 60-minute program where we listen to tracks from an album introduced by the artist who made the album. Thanks for listening, and this one's introduced by Who the fuck is Damien Cowell? Damien Cowell wrote a song called I Was the Guy in Tism. So there's that. There was no Damien Cowell in Tism, but one of the masked persona's voice and those distinctive lyrics are pretty familiar. Since 2004, Damien Cowell has formed three bands, released eight albums, been a stand-up comedian, published a graphic novel, been commissioned by Mona, produced a 19-episode podcast, and created a 19-episode animated series. Now he's back to bring you some of the best bits. What the fuck is Damien Cowell? Damien Cowell is a compilation album celebrating his work in Root, the DC3 and Damien Cowell's Disco Machine, plus some new things. It features a new version of Fuck I'm Dead, his collaborations with Tony Martin, Sean McAuliffe, Celia Pakula and Ella Hooper, plus previously unreleased versions of songs from his 2010 lost masterpiece, Surface Paradise. Why the fuck is Damien Cowell? He started out wearing a mask and pretending to be someone else. Since then, he's hidden behind the security of three bands. Now he's just Damien Cowell, the social satirist. The singer, the songwriter, the band, the brand. 
Who the fuck are Damien Cow? Damien Cow, the band, features some familiar faces like Gordon Blake, Andy Hazel, and Emily Jarrett, plus some new ones like Marianne Dihako. Oh, and Damien Cow will be there too. His old friend Tony Martin may also make an appearance. To celebrate the release of Damien Cow the album, Damien Cow the band toured nationally playing selections from across his career, and even a few from you-know-who. And now they're back in Melbourne for an encore performance. Where the fuck are Damien Cow? Sunday, 12th of November, Halber in Brunswick, 8pm on stage. Damien Cow joins Dr Gonzo to present the album Damien Cow by Damien Cow on... And this one's introduced by, on Community Radio, 3CR. Hi everyone, you're listening to And This One's Introduced By. My name's Damien Cowell, and I'm here to talk about Damien Cowell. How fucking vain can you get? Damien Cowell is the name of an album, um, which is actually a kind of a compilation of all of the stuff I've done in all of the bands I've been in, for the last 19 years. That's not, of course, counting that other band, which I'm not going to name here um, because I'll be taken out and killed if I do, but you'll figure that one out as we go along. Calling the album Damien Cowell by Damien Cowell is, of course, an act of the purest vanity on my part because it's not like uh, I completely wrote all of these songs all by myself and played all the instruments by myself. There were, in fact, some very talented collaborators on these songs. And just so it all vaguely makes sense, although that admittedly is quite unlikely, but anyway, I'll give it a stab. Um, just so there's a bit of context for you, 19 years ago when I left the band that I shan't name, um, I started a new group which was called Root, and that started out playing sort of country music, but then eventually morphed into not really country music. Um, so that, so we broke that up and then the next band was called the DC3 and it's a terrible name, but, you know, I'm, I was busy at the time. And that was kind of dance music, which sort of morphed into straightforward pop music then we split that band up and then I formed a new band called Damien Cowell's Disco Machine, which you'll probably guess by the title actually started out being disco, sort of disco, but eventually morphed into something else. Seems to be a pattern in all of my career. Anyway, this CD is a compilation of tracks from those three bands, also a couple of tracks that I did as part of my commission for Mona, um, the opening of Mona in 2011. I was part of that initial exhibition. You could hear my music when you looked at the paintings inside that amazing place. More about that later. But anyway, that's where these tracks come from. So some of them were written solely by me. Others were written in collaboration with the very talented Henry Graver and Douglas Lee Robertson. And there's a whole lot of other different people who play on these tracks some of which I'll tell you about and some of which I probably won't get around to because we haven't really got all night. Anyway, let's get stuck into it. Track number one, Fuck I'm Dead. 
You might have read some of the publicity recently about the rescuing of the tote, the iconic grungy little rock pub in Melbourne's inner city Collingwood. It was going to be turned into a block of apartments, I imagine, like everything else does these days, but um, due to a small group of wonderful people, they saved it. And this was particularly exciting for me because it meant that I could drive past and continue to be cheered up by the big blackboard on the outside of the tote, which has the names of the bands appearing in the coming weeks. And I've always been particularly impressed by metal band names. Scrotum Staplers, Mighty Sphincter, Barbed Wire Condom, Wall of Smegma, Fecal Taco, Smother Teresa, Preschool Tea Party Massacre, Ball Sack, Abuses of the Clergy, Rhino Clit, Alabama Thunder Pussy, Cybernetic God Crusher, Urine Bong, and Fuck I'm Dead. That was one that really impressed me. Um, fuck I'm Dead, It you know, the idea that the experience of death, which of course I'm completely terrified by, and I imagine you probably are too, the idea that the experience of death could be one of surprise, like, um, oh, um, you told me the ending to this TV show, that sort of was immensely humorous to me. You know, like, shit, where did I put my car keys? I'm not sure that's actually uh, the intention of the people in Fuck I'm Dead when they named their band that. Um, But I certainly took it that way. And, well, as you'll probably soon find out, I don't need a great deal of justification to write a song. This one uh, was a song expressed from the point of view of someone who's rather surprised and, and not in a good way by the fact that they've just expired. Musically speaking, well, this one appeared on the first album by the DC3, um, but the original version was overwritten. We kind of kept shoving ideas into it until it sort of felt like a overfull bucket. So um, I went back to the song with Henry and Doug and came up with a much simpler version, which I think has got a certain kind of um, uh, moronic appeal to it. I hope you agree. Here we are. Fuck, I'm dead. This bright white line hits me. Choirs of angels at the foot of my bed. And reality dating shows don't shit me. Fuck, I'm dead. I like Bohemian Rhapsody and women with lips like ducks. I don't feel my age, so what's happening to me? Fuck.
about to go out for the milk and bread. got a new coach, new players, we've had a great pre-season, and after a lifetime of disappointment, they're saying it could finally be our year, and fuck. Track number two, I was the guy in Tism. Well, there you go, I fucking said it. All right, so I was talking before about that other band. I also like to refer to them as the Cosa Nostra, the Camorra, the Mob, you know, like the uh, character in Sopranos who does that impression um, going, um, you think you're out and then they draw you back in. So I have uh, struggled over the years with the Damien Who problem. Um, I carry on like I'm some kind of icon of Australian music and no one knows who the fuck I am. Fair enough too, because I'm not really an icon of Australian music, but... Well, I like to imagine that's the case. So this has always put a little quandary in front of me, which is, do I mention the fact that I had something to do with that band uh, and therefore um, wreck the so-called anonymity thing that band was famous for? That's the problem, of course. You know, you become successful in a band wearing a disguise then you can't really expect everyone to recognise you on the street, which I'm totally fine with, by the way. It's just getting a gig, um, justifying anyone paying attention to me was always rather difficult because who the fuck is this middle-aged man claiming to be able to write songs? So I had to mention it, but I was always particularly squirmish about it. And eventually I got so fucking bored with having to do that uh, I decided just to put it in a song and then thinking that I would never have to refer to it ever again, put the song out and, of course, that wasn't the case because people always ask me questions about it in interviews, imagining that I wish to be wheeled out like some kind of Glen A. Baker character to rhapsodise about the good old days. I can't be fucked doing that. I don't ever want to do that, but... I would like to get a gig every now and then. So occasionally I happen to mention that I was the guy in Tism. And all of a sudden everyone treats you differently. It's a funny world, isn't it? A push button. I was the guy in Tism. No, really. I was the guy in Tism. No, really. I wrote the bits you like, but not the bits you hate. I wrote the bits you like, but not the bits you hate. I was the guy in Tism. Push button. I was the guy in Tism. There, I said it. I was the guy in Tism. I was the guy in Tism. Does that mean I'll be recognised, lionised, iconised, canonised? 
Does that mean the barmaid at that place in Flinders Lane won't look at me like I'm there to collect my daughter? Does that mean I won't be sneered at in groovy record stores? Does that mean people will forgive me for being a self-centred bore? Does that mean my hitherto plain features will become strangely compelling? Does that mean I'll get an invite to the Hall of Fame dinner? So I can discuss some ex-idol winner by seeing how many of those thumbnail-sized toothpick burgers I can fit in my mouth at once? And later on at the after party, get really drunk and make an ass of myself in front of the cameras by unzipping my fly and saying, here's something for Kate. I was the guy in Tizen. Push button. I was the guy in Tizen. Does that mean Ruby Rose will ink my name on a beautiful skin? And then one day, when it's stretched beyond recognition, it'll look like it spells Dorian Gray? Does that mean I'll get reviewed on Pitchfork? And they won't pick on me, because, you know, like, they're pretty harsh on Pitchfork. I mean, especially if you use generic synth patches. Obviously, there is no way I am using generic synth patches. I'm using a cheap synth without a date rave sounds, because, you know, I choose to. I'd like to apologise to everyone who I should apologise to. Whatever it was I said, I never meant it. To everyone who really liked what I said, I meant it. You've never heard of Tism. Track three is called Sinopar, A Bunch of Lies. And it was written for... Um, the opening of Museum of Old and New Art, Mona, in Hobart. I was commissioned to be part of the opening exhibition by David Walsh. And the idea was that I would have a look at some of the artworks in that incredible place and write a song about it, which was a pretty big job. And 
not really like anything I've ever done before because, remember, I'm used to writing songs about ridiculous band names on a blackboard outside a pub. So writing about art was quite daunting until I realised, well, you know, I reckon David Walsh probably asked me to do this because he's not expecting some kind of arty response to artiness. So off I went. And this particular track... Um, which appears on the uh, the album that came with the initial exhibition, and you could also hear inside the museum. Uh, this track was written about a Damien Hirst painting, if you could call it that, artwork, installation, I don't know. It was a big canvas which was covered in squashed black flies coated in resin. And, of course, that's the whole thing with Damien Hirst's work. It's always hinging on that little fulcrum of, um, I could have done that, Um, is it art sort of stuff. So for whatever reason, that just kind of sent me spiralling off into this weird fantasy about disbelief being personified as a character who's appearing in court um, uh, and accused of great crimes. And that's what I wrote the song about. It's the court case involving disbelief. And, of course, the punchline at the end, which I was quite embarrassed about, was that disbelief ends up being suspended. Of course, disbelief has turned into something a lot uglier these days. When I wrote that track, which was back in about 2010-11, the idea was that disbelief was a grand concept and we needed scepticism in this world to keep the balance These days, sadly, disbelief has been signed up and privatised by lunatic conspiracy-wielding fuckwits. But that wasn't really all that prevalent when uh, I wrote this track, so try to keep that in mind. I mean, it's not really about anything, is it? Are any of my songs? Drones away Our learned friend Stacy Park While Lacey tugs his forelocks As I give you Exhibit A An art installation Black as night Full of squashed insects Not a speck of white Sends a buzz through the gallery Fingers click iPhone keys As Park while Lacey face the jury He said what you see isn't literal It's metaphysical, visceral This is a door in a mankind's soul A semaphore a portal you can see was on a roll Like forgiveness from the abused Through this blackness transcendence lies Yet I put it to you that the accused Has called this masterpiece a bunch of flies The commotion, his sepulchral tone full of resignation, posits a hypothetical notion, says I want you to use your imagination. 
imagination. What if spin doctors are quacks and really black is not the new black? What if Marilyn Monroe was just some chick and Citizen Kane was just some flick? What if Finnegan's Wake's a fake by a talented flake? And like a rolling stone was plucked from where the sun never shone? And that eye rhyme was just bad poetry? Consider this possibility. What if a bunch of flies was just a bunch of lies? The case was all over the press. The judge was grave in his address. He said, we can't have this sort of thing here. You'd threaten society's fragile balance. Politics would be no kind of career. Promotion would be decided on talent. Imagine publishers looking for brilliance, not marketability. We'd have to pump financial assistance into the self-help industry. Lifestyle gurus would be out of work. The rich wouldn't have a right of birth. Altruism would be free of perks. The meek might even inherit the earth. But why do we put cynics in the corner where fortune's favors not bequeathed? This is the natural order. It's better to lie than not believe. Track 4, Jesus Barista Superstar. Unfortunately, this compilation doesn't go in chronological order, so therefore me telling the story of the songs also doesn't go in chronological order, and you're going to have to skip backward and forward through my not very storied career, and actually it doesn't really matter all that much, because who gives a fuck? But anyway, this marks the start of my so-called disco period. My third band, after Root and the DC3, was called Damien Cowell's Disco Machine. And it was an idea that came to me one day that I had always really loved disco music. Um, In fact, I really loved disco music even when I didn't think I really loved disco music. Because disco happened when I was a teenager. And I used to go to all-age discos, um, the non-drinking Sunday night variety, for instance, uh, the one at the Good Shepherd Parish Hall in uh, Brandon Park. And the DJ there... Um, I credit as being the person who perhaps somewhat inadvertently inspired my musical career by having a penchant for playing both Sex Pistols and Disco amongst the um, the songs that he would put on, he or she. And um, the two of those things were seemingly opposed but actually weren't all that different in their own way and 
they actually formed the two pillars of my musical career. Dance music with a kind of punk attitude, I suppose you could say, for whatever that kind of could possibly mean. So it wasn't entirely a genre exercise, the Damien Cowell's Disco Machine self-titled first album, but I did start out having the inspiration in particular of the trashy end of disco. So I'm talking about less so your Nile Rodgers and Chic and BGs and that type of thing, more your, your Boney M's and your Eruptions, Silver Convention, um, Bacara. Um, Frank Farian, I hope I've got the pronunciation correct, was a German guy who actually did all the voices on uh, all the male voices on the Boney M records, and they were just mimed by this awesome-looking guy with a fro and really huge feet um, in their clips. And even though I pretended to hate Boney M at the time. When I was there at the Good Shepherd All Ages Sunday Night Parish Hall Disco, I still used to dance to those tracks. So I reckon that was the inspiration behind this particular track, Jesus Barista Superstar, and features the voice of the great Li Lin Chin, because that was the other part of my approach to this album, was kind of trying to get guest stars to appear on each track, but not always the most obvious choice, not always singers as such. And I don't know how I managed to get Li Lin Chin. I never met her in person, but I did have one particularly bizarre 45-minute telephone conversation with her. And she's here on this track. Jesus Barista Superstar. Jesus Barista Superstar. Jesus Barista Superstar. Jesus Barista Superstar Jesus Barista Superstar Jesus Barista Superstar Jesus Barista
Track 5, Surface Paradise, Part 13. So, when I left the Komora, my first band was called Root, and it was nominally a country band. We wore cowboy hats and sort of like nudie suit type outfits. And there were a few songs that were quite inspired by the kind of country rock, 70s country rock approach of bands like uh, the Flying Burrito Brothers. But that didn't really last all that long. Um, Maybe I'm just an impatient fool. It was possibly also the fact that we seemed to be getting gigs at places with other bands of middle-aged blokes wearing cowboy hats. And I started to feel like I was being shoehorned into a particularly safe little genre, which is kind of the death knell for any idea for me. So Root morphed into something a little bit different on its second album, which was this grandiose concept album called Surface Paradise. And I know of at least two people in the entire world who bought that record and apparently claim it to be some kind of lost masterpiece. Certainly the first half of that phrase is correct. It was lost. It disappeared without a trace, which is probably the best thing that can happen to such a grand conceit as a concept album. But it did rather um, hasten the demise of that band Root. Uh, This song probably won't make any sense out of context, you know, hopefully you'll get a vague idea of what it's about. It's really me complaining about the modern world. Go figure. Um, but uh, the version you're hearing here is actually a demo version. Henry Douglas, Lee Robertson and I demoed up the songs. I sort of put it together with drum beats and keyboards and the demos were then re-recorded into a proper album and I think we somehow lost the vibe on the eventually released album, the demos sound a lot more angry because really I'm I'm sort of always a bit of an angry old prick. And so that's why I decided when we were doing this compilation that I would get that demo CD out and plonk a couple of tracks from it on this new compilation. So here's the angry old man complaining about the modern world on Surface Paradise Part 13. Barely sentient, 
the announcer said, Welcome girls, welcome mums, Chanel presents Find a Journalist. One lucky girl has the chance to become a war correspondent in the Middle East. DC3 was my second band, um, and we got up to a lot of things. We did two albums, and uh, we also appeared in two comedy shows as part of the Melbourne Comedy Festival and the Fringe Festival. And we also did um, an album's worth of songs called Songs That Won't Be On The DC3 Album. They were kind of like a repository for ideas that we couldn't be fucked finishing, so they ended up being generally pretty short. And most of them aren't worth finishing, but some of them turned out to be okay. And this was one, well, I reckon it was anyway, The Arseless Chaps. I've got quite a thing for writing theme songs, you know, like a theme song for a TV show about a group, like Hey Hey Where the Monkeys or the Josie and the Pussycats theme. So I decided to write a theme song for a fictitious band called The Arseless Chaps. 
the band who are so cool that they released an album and then a week later it was voted in the hottest 100 of all time. So here we are, the very short track about the fictitious TV series about the fictitious band known as The Arseless Chaps. Here they come, walking down the street, getting postmodernist looks from everyone they meet. Doe-wide and vulnerable, they hit the top ten. They don't believe in capitalism, they'll never have to work again. Seven, where the fuck's the Venga bus? So this track appeared on the second Damien Cowell's Disco Machine album, uh, by which point I was no longer channeling Boney M and 70s disco, really dance music of all types. And in this particular case, I was deeply inspired by the sort of music that was playing heaps on your Saturday morning video smash hits program, which I tended to watch a lot because I was minding the kids. So that era coincided with bands like Corona and Motive 8. And they all had this thing for doing what I call the galloping horsey bassline, which is kind of dung only much faster than that and hopefully a lot better. And that's a combination of both incredibly silly and incredibly propulsive. Well, at least I find it is. So I wrote a track that was very much inspired by the galloping horsey bass line. And lyrically, it's a song about death, which is, as you can see, one of my constant themes. I like to write songs about really quite unpleasant topics um, in, in a very silly way. And, uh, this also features two super guest stars. One is Celia Pacuola, um, and the other one is, of course, Tony Martin, who turned into one of my major career collaborators, so much so that he even became a fully-fledged member of Damien Cowell's Disco Machine and is still appearing with me on stage when he can get the opportunity these days. Tony... Um, 
at the time was on a breakfast radio program on Nova and they used to think it was incredibly hilarious that Tony was in a rock band. But I always maintain that Tony can actually sing in tune and in time. If you have a listen to Tony Martin's Sizzletown and some of those incredible musical impersonations he does, that actually takes a fair bit of skill. So he's deeply underrated. Simply the fact that he's become known as a stand-up comedian doesn't preclude him from being talented in lots of other areas. And, well, on this particular track, he's doing a lot of shouting, but then that's what I do all the time, isn't it? Where the fuck's the Venga bus? This is just around the corner. 
Track 8, Damien Cowell's Disco Machine Part 1. This track features the voice of Sean McAuliffe, who came round to my house to do his vocal, and I remember having that moment when I opened the front door and, and went, oh, it's a famous person. Um, apparently I trapped him next to the, um, the rubbish bin in our kitchen while we were having a chat. I was obviously so... Um, intimidated by the fact that Sean McAuliffe was standing in our kitchen. Not that he's really anything other than a normal bloke and very charming and intelligent and great company, but, you know, it was all a bit weird. Anyway, uh, Sean does a small cameo on this track, which, apart from that, is largely taken up by me crapping on. It's the story about a person who inadvertently releases complete silence as a track and gets co-opted by the cognoscenti uh, and becomes the coolest person on the planet. And the fact that that other band of mine would many years later release an album of total silence is an utter and complete coincidence. misuse this goose lays a golden egg later one night i was working so long i somehow flipped a switch that was somehow wrong and then i you know dropped the mix i uploaded five minutes of absolutely nothing total silence but then i thought why not leave it up there just for kicks i called it damien cow's disco machine a post 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 modernist critique at least that's what i said when sometime later they interviewed me for Future Music magazine. But really it was the first thing that came into my head. I called it... Danny Cowles. Let's go Pass, no one gave an ass, least of all me. 
my bullshit lining stayed up there in the cloud. Then suddenly, hits on me rise exponentially. And I get messaged by someone in Chiara Skuro's crowd. Chiara Skuro, world's hottest DJ no less. Chiara Skuro, every remix wish list top name. Chiara Skuro played my silent track at Modern Unconsciousness. She said music as we know it will never be the same. It was called... State Build-Up went for one entire day. And Chiara Scuro was the lightning conductor. Her invisible ink tattoos glowing vivid hues only when the lights turn red. I was Chiara Scuro's curio, her one-hit wonder. I was fated and my sneakers migrated under her bed. There was a school of thought amongst certain DJs that when you're listening to silence, vinyl is the only true way. Some built huge systems to enhance the oral abyss. There were 451 subgenres of retro cassette hiss. Some kids danced to their internal groove. Some kids stayed rigid, didn't want to be the first to move. Isolation tanks became the accessory du jour. Around the world you could hear a pin drop on the dance floor. When it hit Kuda and Ibiza, Chiara Skiro said it was beneath her. You know it's over when you hear it on a bank ad. She stopped taking my calls and hitched stable with some turntable prodigy from Nepal. I was just a passing fad. No step turned ironic. I was sued by John Cage's estate. Now I just stay home alone, me and all my friends. But that's okay, I got time, I can wait. In three years, you know what'll be hip again? Track 9, Get Your Dag On. This is the title track of the second album by Damien Cowell's Disco Machine. Features Tony Martin, of course, and also the wonderful Ella Hooper. And has a bass line loosely inspired by uh, I Want to Take You Higher by Sly and the Family Stone, who were a big influence on me, although you can't really tell. It's essentially a song about not being cool. Um, I tried for most of my 
teens and 20s and even into my 30s, I, I tried so very hard to be cool. And of course, it was always going to be a totally losing battle. After all, I grew up in Springvale. So the fact that you get to a certain age where you realise that almost like the day when I was hanging out the washing in my late 20s and had this strange thought that even if I could somehow be drafted by an AFL team, I was already too old to play top-level football. There is a certain age where you come to the realisation that you are now incapable of being cool. And it is um, a crossing the Rubicon moment where you actually start enjoying your life a lot more. This is a song about that. In the post-industrial dance clubs of Berlin Crowds have been no one to soak up the dance All the Jesus barista Rasputin Could stop crapping on that single origin Could they all get have an epiphany? The way to be is get your Chicken feed, do the dig and weed. 
track number 10, Cool for Catamites. So this is the backstory. The Greek myths and legends have uh, some fairly reprehensible carryings on going on in them. And one particular um, Greek myth was about the character known as Ganymede. Ganymede was a beautiful youth and such a beautiful youth that Ganymede caught the eye of the god Zeus. And Ganymede was abducted by Zeus and the gods, and his reward for being abducted by the gods was immortal life. However, there's always a little payment on the side that has to be made, and in Ganymede's case, it was to be Zeus's catamite. If you look up catamite in the dictionary, it's defined as a boy kept for sexual purposes. So this is a pretty terrible story, and like most terrible stories, I like to um, turn it into something completely stupid. In fact, this is the stupidest song ever written in the history of pop music, and that's why it ended up on my compilation album, because I'm quite proud of it. The song itself, unlike this fucking introduction only goes for about 41 seconds, so you'll be back listening to me before you've even blinked. Because it's not cool for catamites. Well, Ganymede, I was abducted by the gods For immortality, but the price was kind of dodge Ganymede dropped his goose, cause he caught the eye of Zeus He wanted to be a train driver, but he ended up as the caboose Hi, I'm Damien Cowell. Damien who? Well, find out by joining me and Dr Gonzo on And This One's Introduced By Wednesday 11pm on Community Radio 3CR. Track 11, Market Forces. This track appeared on the second album by the DC3, the band which also featured Henry Graver and Douglas Lee Robertson two of the most talented blokes I've ever had the privilege to work with, um, deeply underappreciated for their work on the uh, albums of Root and the DC3, and in fact still being deeply underappreciated as we speak. And another person super talented who is also deeply underappreciated is Beck Chapman, who I first met in the sessions for this track, um, and Beck opened an incredible door to me to the idea of writing for female voices, which is so fantastic and so much fun and so much uh, wider a horizon than my boring timbre. And, of course, Beck would subsequently become a very important part of my musical life in Damien Cowell's Disco Machine, alongside the equally talented Emily Jarrett and, more recently, Marianne DeHeiko, all fantastic singers and great people and lots of fun to hang out with. And writing for female voices just is uh, so much more liberating and so many more possibilities. So that's what I always remember this track for, is that crucial moment in my life where Beck Chapman opened the door and walked into it. Um, and 
The track itself, well, you know, it's a song about free market capitalism. Using the rather overblown conceit of personifying it into being something like a invading army. Free market capitalism, eh? Um, not the first time someone's written a song about that. Um, and, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, I am a very lucky person and I've had a very privileged existence and a lot of that has been as the result, um, either directly or indirectly, of free market capitalism. So I'm not going to be a fucking hypocrite, but there are some problems with free market capitalism. Market forces. Market forces. There were no tank columns around, no soldiers firing in the crowds the day that market forces came to town. Market forces. Protectionism failed us, and they kicked the levees down the day that market forces came to town. Education, government, while we went on shopping vendors in their detention centers. In our black mirror addicted swoon, the consumer is consumed. And this is their battle resistance cells I'm not passionate about your job you are an infidel and all the universities churn out business minds no student radicals round here they all got privatized get fucked capitalism sorry GFC I won the battle not the war cause debt is recovery show on TV, Orwell's ghost looks knowingly, freedom slavery.
Track 12, Sanctuary. I'd like to apologise in advance for this song. It is a song, in fact, with a positive message, and I have absolutely no excuses for it. I'm sorry, I'll try not to do it again, but sometimes, particularly first thing in the morning when I've just had my first cup of coffee, I do think positive thoughts. It does happen to the best of us, and guilty as charged, Your Honour. Sanctuary, Sanctuary, Amity. Track 13, 
sort of emo. This isn't a song about emo. Um, emo, of course, is a musical subgenre. There's so many billions of musical subgenres. It's not a song about the musical subgenre. It's a song almost actually apologising for the previous song, which has a, a positive message. This is a song which admits to the shameful truth that I am sometimes a little emotional. And I know that's not consistent with that other band I was in, but if you um, know me personally, you'll know that um, I'm not always like the character that I sometimes used to appear in that other band. Anyway, uh, none of this is making any fucking sense, so let's get on with it. This is a song which mentions vodka cruisers. Do they even have vodka cruisers anymore? I don't know. They never had vodka cruisers when I was growing up. No such sophisticated ways to get underage drinkers to spend all of their pocket money. In our day, it was um, far more nausea-inducing concoctions like um, Stone's Green Ginger Wine, Blackberry Nip, um, Southern Comfort. You know, your vodka cruiser, it's, it's like drinking cordial. It's a brilliantly devised scheme by the, uh, the producers of this particular drink um, and um, all strength to them. I mean, did they win a Business Person of the Year award? They ought to have. They ought to be doing the seminar circuit. Here's how we fucking hoodwinked kids into a lifetime of alcoholism by combining vodka um, in such a kind of a subtle and sweet way with cordial to get them to spend all their money and thus make us incredibly rich. I think I may have drifted off the point here, so let's get on with the fucking song. This is called Sort of Emo. I are ashamed to admit I'm a little bit you know, sort of Tell my friends They love to condescend I'll never hear the end Here comes Mr. Emo
Track 14, The Rights of Springy. So this was a bonus track uh, that appeared with the Surface Paradise album and therefore I suspected no one in the world had ever heard it, which is why I thought I might slip it onto this compilation and surprise a few people. It's fairly lo-fi and underproduced, but that's okay. It, it sort of half works. It's my attempt at talking about memory and... Um, That's particularly evocative and pathos-ridden because the house that I grew up in, which appears in the photo on the CD cover of this album, not that you'd know that because who fucking buys CDs anymore, but anyway, just take it from me, it does. The the photo of that house from 20 View Road, Springvale, where I grew up in, and I mention in this song, um, only recently got bulldozed and turned into some kind of townhouse arrangement. Um, I drove past it because every time I have a reason to go round those parts, I usually like to go down those streets. I'm a terribly sort of nostalgic guy, which is pretty weird seeing as um, I'm always railing about nostalgia um, and did a whole album and animated uh, graphic novel series about the perils of nostalgia called Only the Shit You Love. If you're interested, go check it out. But anyway, um, nostalgia is a big part of my life. I've often mentioned this, actually, that I seem to experience nostalgia in advance or or at least really fast turnaround slapback nostalgia. Like I'm standing here in the sun uh, thinking, you know what, in a couple of years' time, I'm going to look back on this day where I was standing there in the sun and really wish I could live that moment again. I seem to always be living my life retrospectively. Uh, Springy, well, I'm sort of glorifying it in its own kind of down-at-heel way on this track, but I reckon it was a big part of the sort of crap that I've produced over the last many, many, many years growing up in Springy. It sort of moulds a guy. All those disappointments and all those kind of shabby youthful experiences and, um, you know, getting rejected by Anna Block at the Springvale Youth Club Learn to Dance. If you want to find out about that sordid and not really all that exciting story, you'll have to check out my podcast. But all of these experiences come together to form the person I am, deeply flawed though that may be. And this is a song which mentions um, a few of those people, Mary C and Sandra. um, And, uh, well, you know, I don't know. You didn't grow up in Springy, but hopefully you have a memory something like the rights of Springy. Now a DOS house for 23 refugees The garage is now all covered 
covered in rubble My dad built that in three months With a barrow and shovel The backyard's a temper I played in the Saints Premiership You can't see the spot for all the tags Where I offered to carry Sandra Smallman's school bag The back fence, drunkenly leaning Was the bricks and mortar of a schoolboy's dreaming The dandy sharps, the Clayton skins, the hot bread bakery that came and we said it's the biggest thing to happen since sliced bread. The primary school without a blade of grass, kissing Mary C and the Springy Road underpass. Roast Sunday, fish and chips Friday, bus stop loitering outside the library. Pennies and Zorbas and misspent youth. My mate's garage for three chords and absolutely no idea of the truth. You can sweep out the town, you can get it back on track, you could restore every building, you can paint every crack, you could wash away the petty crime, the gangs and the smack, but the one thing you'd miss is the one thing you can never get back. There's a kid, his name is Track 15, The Boy in the Box. This is another one from the Monanisms exhibition 
from 2011, the album which was at the time called Versus Art. I'm not sure you can get it anymore. And um, David Walsh very kindly gave us permission to use a couple of tracks on this compilation. Um, There was actually a historical context for this track. Um, In 2009, Colorado couple Richard and Mayumi Heen claimed their six-year-old son Falcon was trapped inside a balloon floating above Fort Collins. The hoax was sprung when Falcon, later christened Balloon Boy by the media, was found hiding in a box in the family home. Uh, Yeah, well, that's the sort of news story at the time, but as with most things, I don't actually write songs about something. They're just a starting out point, really. And the starting out point being the Balloon Boy story in this case, then leads to me talking about my life, which is fairly much a series of um, ignominious sellouts. And I'm not necessarily proud of that, but I'm also not hiding it because that's what you do when you love people. And if you're any sort of person, you love people. And that's why I reckon selling out is... The mark of the person, or something like that anyway. The boy in the box. We are all in the gutter. Some of us look at the stars The rest of us settle for Job, mortgage and cars Life changes the locks When opportunity knocks Our dreams may float like a balloon But we live in a bar Sake, sake, me, me. 
watch the clock Tick tock, tick tock I don't see any paradox When death comes calling like Shylock You mean I'm breathing, not this rock No shit Sherlock Track 16, You Asked, We Listened. This is uh, one of the tracks from my most recent album, Only the Shit You Love, by Damien Cowell's Disco Machine. Uh, And it's got a really tongue-twisting chorus, which goes, You asked us to do what we were always going to do, no matter whether you had even asked us or not. Try singing that when you've had a few sherbs. Um, But... The, the idea is, is kind of based on this feedback loop, which is such a tedious part of modern living in our wonderful free capitalist society. Somebody hit upon the idea that engaging with your audience was a way to force them to buy more product from you. And I don't mind that, but I'd rather you come out and say that rather than pretend to give a shit And pretending to give a shit is what everybody does in the free capitalist world these days. So um, one of the phrases that started appearing quite often in my consciousness was this phrase, you asked us, so we listened. Um, And I always found that a little bit dodgy, you know? Did we really ask? Did you really listen? Or were you going to fucking do it anyway? And I turned it into a swinging little bossa nova tune. Hope you like it.
3,000 people? Was it three? We value your feedback. Was it people in your office who you knew would agree? We value your feedback. It's funny, I don't remember you asking me. We value your feedback. Do you value our feedback? 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 Are you actually going to do something about our feedback? Well, will it make us more money? Not necessarily. Well, get fucked. Track 17 is fucking annoying. Ah, that really rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? I just don't get enough opportunities to introduce this song. Such an obvious one, and yet so enjoyable every time. This is the second version. Well, actually, this is the first version of the song which ended up on the Only the Shit You Love album. The second version uh, was a a kind of happy hip-hop track bit sort of inspired by the uh, Daisy Age movement of your De La Souls that happened in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. I sort of got tired of the original version, but now I've stopped being tired of the original version and you get to hear it right here. And it appears on the compilation album. It, it originated from me being in a shop where they were playing the Macarena and very quietly under my voice singing, instead of Macarena. I was singing fucking annoying and well you know it's good enough for me to turn it into a song really and fucking annoying there's so many things that one can encounter in any given day so why not turn it into a song
and children soaking our intelligence Cobble doing milk is feeling manufactured animals Running commentary where you stick the bleeding obvious I like the breakfast team that pops it in a thing that's said Forced hilarity that happened in the lying dread Almost in the sponsor with a gun aimed at their head fucking wagons well you know who's got the time these days to actually listen to music if you want to work me out um the most ergonomic way to do this is to just look at the song titles yeah so there it is henry fucking wagons obviously must be some kind of fucking joke song about um how i hate henry wagons and um yeah that pretty much sums it up in fact uh I don't really hate Henry Wagons. He's a very talented guy and, and very nice too. And he was kind to us and invited the DC3 to play this actual song in front of his crowd at his gig. So hopefully everyone in the audience went past the song title and realised that, no, we don't actually hate Henry Wagons. Um, it's just one of those things, really, where I like to kind of extemporise on a theme. It's the theme of sort of having a nemesis in your life there's always someone that you are unreasonably jealous of you know the Seinfeld Newman character and um, yeah I, I sort of alighted on the very talented and very nice Henry Wagons and he didn't deserve any of it so yeah but don't worry about all that shit um, just look at the song title
I went for a big job interview. They said it was down to the last two, and I'd have been perfect for a two. But the other candidate was Henry Waggins. My lover blinked her bedroom eyes, said you're good, what a surprise, you could be my perfect guy. If you were more like Henry Waggins. Well, who's working my side of the street? Henry fucking Waggins. Except he was doing it long before me. Henry fucking Waggins. Cause when they taught cool at high school I must have been wagon Well I'm great but who's the best? No way, let me guess Track 19, This Is Bullshit.
This is a song about imposter syndrome and we all experience imposter syndrome and everyone's always telling us how all of us experience imposter syndrome. So why is it that that doesn't help in the slightest? I'm a terrible sufferer of imposter syndrome. I feel like a total imposter talking to you right now. I mean, really, who can be fucked? Like, it's not like I'm buddy Keith Richards talking about Exile on Main Street. I'm crapping on about some fucking compilation CD that nobody's going to buy and you're not even listening. So this is a song which pretty much sums up how I feel most of most days, except maybe for the hour after I've had my first cup of coffee in the morning where I feel like I'm actually um, doing something that has a point to it and um, maybe I should keep doing it. Unfortunately, the effects of caffeine generally tend to wear off and I go back to thinking that sooner or later I'm going to get found out.
future sound of nostalgia. Okay, let's wrap this fucker up. Uh, First of all, thank you. If you do in fact exist and you've been listening all the way through, thank you. It's you who are responsible for my existence. Well, at least in this particular occupation. I mean, if people like you, fictitious though you may be, didn't exist, then I don't know, what would I have done with my life? Play golf? Become obsessed by bicycle riding equipment? Yeah, who knows? But I have been very, very lucky in my life to have encountered some people who think what I'm doing is worth doing. And that's what this song is about. And I just want to say thanks for listening. And, you know, in general, well, thanks. Likely to sings fuck you with seal of green. Perception is reality at school, so it's her theme. One day, ten years on, she'll come upon that song and laugh at just how wrong her so called Facebook friends had been. Cause the quiet one wins in the end. And that song will be her friend
song's internal world When things aren't good at home Some boys will play that noise Cause it tells them they're not alone Who cares if it goes to your feet Or to your heart or to your head Like whistling when dark descends A song can be your friend To the someone's friend Thanks for listening to an episode of And This One's Introduced By. I'm Dr. Gonzo and I'll be presenting another artist with another album next time on This One's Introduced By. Catch you next time. I'm Damien Cowell. I don't do very many good things, but you might get the chance by getting involved with Community Radio 3CR. You want to find out how? Well, go to their website at 3cr.org.au. Bye. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Terry Rowe, Slade. To the economist.
you should never do. Don't you ever step on my...